Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. You've heard the expression, serious as a heart attack? Medical professionals once were equally serious in insisting that no good could come from exercising after a heart attack. But that was decades ago, before a mountain of research proved that stance wrong. It's now known that physical activity is, in fact, the safest path to recovery after a heart attack. Today, it's accepted practice for cardiologists, physical therapists, and other healthcare professionals to prescribe movement and physical effort to optimize function in those who've sustained a heart attack. The same thing is true of exercise to reduce the risk for and lessen the effects of cancer, although that message has been slower to change public attitudes. Joining us in this episode of Move Forward Radio is Steve Morris, immediate past president of the American Physical Therapy Association's Academy of Oncologic Physical Therapy. Steve participated in an important medical roundtable on the subject of exercise and cancer. He also co-authored a trio of articles arising from that roundtable that collectively provide a simple, straightforward action plan for healthcare professionals, cancer survivors, and anyone who's at risk of developing cancer, in part because of physical inactivity. Steve shares all that information while acknowledging that the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and actions by governments to stop the virus's spread in some ways make exercising more difficult for people, whether or not they have cancer. He's got practical advice there, too, and he discusses why it's such an important public health goal for society to sit less and move more. Here's our conversation. So, Steve, thanks so much for joining us on Move Forward Radio. Uh, We're here today to talk about the crucial role that exercise can and should play in both prevention of cancer and improving the quality of life of people who've been diagnosed with the disease. We're going to be discussing important recommendations made by a roundtable of leading health organizations and some of the research. But we'll also need to acknowledge ongoing, shall we say, (laughs) challenges uh, presented by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and measures that have been instituted worldwide to address this crisis. You and I are speaking on March the 25th with virus-related news, recommendations, and mandates constantly changing. So it's important that our discussion encompasses not only conditions in American society uh, before and uh, presumably after the coronavirus um, uh, pandemic, but also uh, conditions that prevail at this moment in history with social mobility sharply uh, limited and some forms of individual mobility limited as well. So with with all that lead-in, with all of that noted, um, Steve, before we start uh, talking specifics about exercise's importance in helping to prevent cancer and lessen its effects, can you talk a little bit about some of the erroneous beliefs that people uh, tend to have about exercise in relation to cancer and, and where those misconceptions come from? I'm going to answer that question by, by reminding everyone that in 1970, exercise was not viewed as a important intervention for individuals who had suffered heart attacks. In fact, in 1970, most uh, cardiologists would not allow their heart attack patients to exercise, fearing that it would cause another uh, heart attack. Now, the same thing can be said about exercise in patients who've uh, been diagnosed with cancer. there has been a consistent fear that cancer survivors exercising would cause a reoccurrence of their disease. It would exacerbate uh, their lymphedema, particularly if they were breast cancer survivors. Uh, 
that uh, that would uh, increase their risk for uh, metastatic disease. Uh, it would increase their risk for uh, diseases that uh, accompanying the cancer diagnosis itself. There's been a concern about exercise increasing fatigue, and fatigue is a very common adverse effect of the disease and its treatment, so the perception was that exercise would exacerbate the fatigue. In point of fact, exercise is the only uh, demonstrated intervention to reduce fatigue. Um, and lastly, and perhaps most critically, oncologists have not been supportive in the past of uh, encouraging their patients to exercise. Uh, oncologists were fearful that they did not know enough, and they were fearful that they had little, little bit little control over this intervention. So there's lots of reasons, and I think, Eric, it's important to note that these fears remain even today about uh, cancer survivors exercising. And when I use the term survivor, I'm using uh, the definition that the National Comprehensive Cancer Network uses, and uh, an individual becomes a cancer survivor at the moment he or she receives a cancer diagnosis. Now, I take it that that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't any uh, uh, cautions or caveats to exercise for, for uh, patients with cancer. Uh, what might some of those be? Well, some of those caveats would include uh, not doing too much exercise. For individuals who have bone disease, there's the risk of fracturing those bones, so there's very particular ways those patients should uh, exercise. And typically, that would be under the uh, under the supervision of an exercise professional. There are conditions that accompany specific cancers that can be exacerbated by uh, by exercising. So, I have to point out that those limitations are uh, typically cancer specific, uh, and. They're not exclusions. In many cases, they're simply uh, warning people to be careful. For example, uh, as an individual who's had an ostomy as part of the, uh, the surgical procedure for a colorectal tumor, and they have, to, they have to be able to appropriately use and manage that ostomy before they can enter an exercise program. So, so it sounds like what you're saying basically is there, there are circumstances in which uh, uh, prudence in exercise is advised, but uh, that, that still doesn't kind of uh, um, uh, cancel out the, uh, the, the notion that exercise generally is, is good. Right. Eric, you're, you're spot on. Prudence is a great word. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of interest in what lots of professionals are calling sitting behaviors. And uh, sitting behaviors, it's a new area of uh, investigation. It's a difficult behavior to measure, but there is some evidence to suggest that sitting behavior uh, can contribute to a cancer and a reoccurrence of cancer. So if we look at exercise as, as movement, getting up out of the chair every hour, uh, there, there's not many obstacles to doing uh, doing that small amount of exercise, and uh, there's some evidence to suggest that it will bring a benefit to the individual doing it. 
I, I teach my students, the bed is, is not your patient's friend because, again, the notion here is movement, and in its broadest context, movement is exercise, or I'll use the term physical activity sometimes in my comments, uh, and I, it, I think for today they're essentially synonymous terms. Which, again, is a, is a big change, as you note, from uh, the way things used to be advised uh, uh, decades ago. Oh, oh yes, oh, yes. Uh, uh, decades ago, people would spend a week in the hospital after a hip revision. Uh, a, a friend of mine had a hip revision first week of December. It was day surgery. So, yeah, things are very different today than they mm-hmm. were a, a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Steve, uh, listeners should know that in addition to uh, serving as president of the American Physical Therapy Association's Academy of Oncologic Physical Therapy, uh, you participated in a roundtable on exercise and uh, cancer that was held in uh, March 2018 and brought together 17 different uh, healthcare organizations, including the National Institutes of Health and the American Cancer Society. Um, you then author- co-authored uh, three articles designed to evaluate the evidence supporting exercise and cancer prevention and uh, treatment recovery, and uh, to help develop guidelines and recommendations to encourage healthcare uh, providers to embrace exercise as an important recommendation for patients uh, at all levels of care. So if you would, Steve, uh, please start by discussing the purpose of the roundtable. It it followed up on a similar event that had taken place a decade earlier. Uh, What changed during those 10 years necessitating new actions, and what recent research and other developments are particularly significant? Okay, well, first I'd like to point out, Eric, that the APTA was one of the sponsoring organizations of that roundtable, and uh, and the Academy was a sponsoring uh, uh, member as well. <clears throat> Exercise in the context of a cancer diagnosis uh, is a reasonably new player on the field. Uh, the first real study was done back in the mid-'80s. Uh, interest was very limited until the turn uh, into the 21st century, and over the last 20 years, there's been an exponential increase in the uh, exercise and oncology literature. So the first roundtable noted that there had been an exponential increase and decided that it was time to review that data to see what could be uh, generated as uh, evidence-based practice to guide the clinician in using exercise as an intervention for the uh, cancer survivor. Now, interestingly enough, since uh, 2008, the volume of the literature has uh, further increased exponentially. The studies have become increasingly sophisticated. They've increased, obviously, in number, and uh, they've increased in the uh, types of cancer studied. Uh, in 2008, about 75% of all exercise studies uh, were uh, were done on patients with a history of breast cancer. Today, uh, it's a more diffuse uh, collection of a cancer diagnosis. So the uh, decision was made that it was time to yet again evaluate this, this explosion in information about exercise and oncology. Now, uh, this go-around, the decision was made that there would be kind of a three-pronged approach to the literature. One, uh, asking a question about the impact of exercise and exercise behaviors on, 
on cancer and cancer recurrence. The second prong dealt with uh, uh, can we provide the clinician with uh, specific exercise recommendations. Uh, everyone knows uh, that exercise is defined in part by the exercise intensity, its duration, and it's the type of exercise. So this roundtable sought to determine if specific recommendations in those arenas could be made in the context of a cancer diagnosis. The third prong was focused on how to make exercise referrals and recommendations to be more forthcoming for the cancer survivor. It focused on, on how the, uh, each member of the uh, cancer care team could help to promote exercise for their clientele. And the third paper, from a clinical perspective, its biggest uh, contribution is it makes some recommendations about how to determine, how to assess uh, an exor a patient's exercise behaviors and where they might be referred if the decision is made that they're in need of, of uh, exercise uh, participation in an exercise training program. Okay, so so following up on all that, um, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but but you've been quoted as saying basically that this roundtable and the articles that grew out of it ultimately will help healthcare providers direct uh, people to exercise programs that are consistent with their own condition and, and their own medical needs. Uh, this care model encompasses the uh, entire cancer care team, as you as you had mentioned, and it takes uh, a quote unquote assess, advise, refer approach. So let's break all that down, Steve. Uh, first of all, what's involved in evaluating an individual's uh, exercise behavior and needs? The goal of the roundtable was to make the assessment as quick uh, as possible. Oncologists don't want to spend a lot of time assessing uh, fitness b behaviors of their patients. It's, you know, there's not much time that docs spend with their patients these days. So the third manuscript in this triad suggests that oncologists and other members, including physical therapists and physical therapist assistants, ask the question, how many days during the past week have you performed physical activity where your heart beats faster and your breathing is harder than normal for 30 minutes or longer? Mm-hmm. Very simple question. Mm -hmm. The second question in terms of the assessment is, how many days during the past week have you performed physical activity to increase muscle strength, such as lifting weights? Uh, I, don't, I don't know how long it takes to ask those questions, just a few seconds. Right. And the patient can typically uh, answer it pretty quickly. Now, the guidelines that have... Uh, that these documents we're talking about recommend uh, and the uh, Health and Human Services recommend is 150 minutes a week for moderate intensity exercise, aerobic exercise, and two exercise sessions uh, a week for doing resistance exercise. Answers to these two questions uh, allow for a very quick, admittedly dirty assessment of the patient. If they say, well, I, I, never, I never work out, or if they say, well, I never perform uh, anything that causes me to uh, increase my heart rate or respiratory rate, then you know they're not getting any exercise at all. Uh, if they say, well, I never do any resistance exercise, 
then that gives you uh, information about their uh, their weightlifting or resistance exercise behaviors. Now they may say, oh, I go out and walk with my neighbor a day a week. Or I go out and walk a, a three days a week. Or I, I go down to the high school track and walk. Uh, but the key here is that they increase their heart rate and respiratory rate. And uh, so the, the answers to these two questions uh, combined with uh, clinical experience can give the uh, member of the team a good idea of the exercise behaviors, the chronic exercise behaviors of these patients. Now, question number three that's included in this manuscript is, is a question that the clinician is asked to ask himself or herself, and uh, that is making a determination whether the cancer survivor is safe to exercise. And there's some, there are some cancer survivors that are not safe to exercise. Perhaps they have peripheral neuropathy uh, and, and uh, walking is challenging. Perhaps they have an anthracycline-induced uh, heart failure, which makes exercise difficult and challenging. Uh, but these, these questions are, are quick, they're dirty, uh, but it does allow the clinician to make a reasonable conclusion. And then uh, <clears throat> if the clinician uh, uh, decides that their exercise behaviors are not sufficient, if they don't meet these exercise guidelines, then they can advise the patient what he or she should consider doing. Now, it was the conclusion of the roundtable that all members of the team could engage in this process because it's not harassing, but it's trying to show interest in what the, what the patient is doing in terms of improving their health, their fitness status, et cetera. Now, the third part of this clinician's guide is referrals. Where should the patient go if he or she needs some level of supervision? Uh, I mentioned a moment ago uh, a patient with a peripheral neuropathy. Now, I suspect most clinicians would suggest that that patient be seen Steve, by a Steve, can yeah. I interrupt a second? Uh, that, that, that's some, a little bit of a highfalutin term, a peripheral neuropathy. Can you just, oh. to, just to make sure that uh, we're, everybody's on the same page as to what that means? Some chemotherapeutic agents cause a loss of sensation and feeling in the hands and feet. Okay. So, you know, if you can't feel your feet beneath your, uh, if you can't feel the floor beneath your feet, it changes your gait pattern dramatically, uh, and it would make uh, having a patient walk on a treadmill uh, be an unsafe activity. Right. Uh, and there are there is some evidence to suggest that exercise can manage can help manage neuropathies, but it has to be done safely. Many cancer survivors, deconditioning is their only problem, and that can be done with a good home exercise program if the clinician feels the patient will do it. There's an increasing number of community programs, Live Strong, for example, that cancer uh, survivors can uh, attend and receive some supervision. Uh, private trainers uh, can provide exercise supervision. Uh, the American College of Sports Medicine offers a certificate uh, in certified exercise trainers uh, for cancer survivors. Uh, 
and uh, interestingly enough, there's some uh, there, there's some evidence out there that former athletes make good trainers as well. But again, the key issue here is that the member of the uh, of the healthcare team needs to feel comfortable that he or she is referring the patient to the appropriate provider. And 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 what who might some of those appropriate providers be? We we've we've talked uh, repeatedly about the the quote unquote cancer care team. Just 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 so it's clear, what what are the components of that team, and how do they all kind of fit together? The it, it's kind of dependent on where they are in terms of their overall care. If they're still receiving uh, active treatment, obviously uh, the oncologist, the surgeon, or the radiologist is at the top of the team. But there's also nurses involved. Uh, hopefully, there's PTs and PTAs involved. Uh, nutritionists are involved. Uh, social workers are involved, uh, as you might expect. Uh, and depending on the uh, comorbidities, the diseases that are caused by the, the treatment itself, it can involve uh, uh, sleep experts, some drugs, glucocorticoids, for example, uh, uh, create real sleep disturbances. These patients may need to be seen for vision problems. So a large number of people can contribute early on to the cancer team, but as the patient improves and completes active treatment, that team begins to diminish in size. And uh, it's our it's it's our view in a perfect world that a physical therapist should be a part of the ongoing cancer care team. And and again, it's it's not ganging up ganging up on the patient, but uh, but having everyone on that team taking uh, talking up exercise is helpful. Right. If everybody has the same message, it, it gives increased credibility and it gives increased emphasis on that as part of their of, of their behavior. After all, if a patient were to come in to see me and I know they had hypertension, I'd ask them if they take their medication. Uh, and I think I'm justified in asking that question because if they're not, I should uh, I should respond in some fashion. So it's it's the same notion with the uh, the members of the cancer care team to ask these questions of their cancer survivors. Right. And and just just to recap, Steve, uh, what you're talking about, you've basically just summarized what what was characterized as an assess, advise, refer approach, right? Right. So um, the, the, the roundtable participants found strong evidence uh, supporting the, uh, the health effects of a protocol that recommends 30 minutes of aerobic activity three times a week plus resistance exercises twice a week, one for each major muscle group with 8 to 15 repetitions per set and two sets per exercise. Um, the idea is to then progress exercises in small increments. So first of all, Steve, why those particular numbers? What's, what's magical about that? There's about a 40-year uh, history of investigators seeking to determine uh, the uh, amount of exercise, the volume of exercise required to bring about health benefits. Uh, in the late 90s, a, a group from the American College of Sports Medicine made the recommendation that 150 minutes of moderate uh, aerobic activity would bring about health benefits. Now, if you think about 150 minutes a week, somebody very quickly decided that that's, oh, 
five exercise sessions a week, 30 minutes apiece. And so that's where that five times 30 mm-hmm. minutes came from. It was mm-hmm. uh, people weren't going to go out and exercise for uh, two and a half hours at one stretch. Uh, the uh, Similarly, uh, uh, the literature uh, has consistently demonstrated that resistance uh, exercises uh, weight training, if you will, is an important part of this overall uh, health benefit from participating in exercise uh, uh, programs. Uh, I, I would like to emphasize that this is particularly important for cancer survivors. They may want to go down to the gym and walk on the treadmill, but they seriously need to consider resistance training because, A, most cancer survivors are older and they are experiencing age-related loss in muscle mass, uh, and uh, uh, they they may have may be have been inactive uh, over the course of their treatment. So, uh, strengthening plays an important role in uh, in improving balance and in improving functional capacity. So, uh, again, I would encourage the listeners to not feel satisfied stepping off the treadmill after 30 minutes, they ought to step off the treadmill uh, and then head over to the weight machines. A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, more movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at choosept.com. When you, when you talk about weight training, are, are we talking about, you, you just mentioned weight machines. Are we talking about barbells? Are we talking about hand weights? What are we talking about? I, I, anything, anything that a muscle has to move that weigh something beyond body weight. I'm, I'm machines, uh, talking about bench presses, for example, uh, there's some squat machines. Uh, there are machines that will work uh, several of the muscles in the upper, uh, upper th- uh, thighs. Um, the goal here is to do activities that will uh, stress uh, the large muscle groups, not small muscle groups like uh, like uh, squeezing a, a device that will strengthen your, your finger flexors. That's a small muscle group. But these large muscle groups, the muscles that you use to walk, to ascend stairs, for example, those are the muscles that should be, uh, should be worked on in a resistance training program. Steve, you've said that uh, personalized and straightforward uh, exercise instruction prescribed by health professionals is very much needed given the obesity epidemic and a society that's far too sedentary. Uh, That gets back to the importance of exercise in helping to prevent cancer. You alluded to this earlier, but can you talk specifically about the connection between physical activity and cancer and and what the research says about that? So... uh The uh, 2008 roundtable found that there was strong clinical evidence to support a link, a direct link, between colon cancer, breast cancer, and inactivity. By 2018, seven 
seven different, there was evidence to link seven different cancers to a lack of activity. And of course, colon and breast cancers were in that group, but it also included kidney, endometrial, bladder, esophageal, and stomach. There was moderate, uh, moderately strong evidence, to, interestingly enough, to link lung cancer to uh, uh, inactivity. And this group said that there was some evidence. It was not as strong uh, uh, as uh, the evidence regarding colon, breast cancer, et cetera. But there, their review of the literature suggested that there was limited evidence to link hematologic head and neck, pancreas, prostate, and ovarian cancers to inactivity. What this data suggests is that inactivity becomes a public health issue. Now, uh, it, it, it brings added emphasis to the need for the American pop population, the population of the world, to be act active so as to limit the incidence and the risk for these particular cancers. This is consistent with the APTA's uh, emphasis on public health. These data offer an opportunity for physical therapists and, and physical therapy assistants to work with a healthy population if that's their preference and get involved in public health. And certainly the conclusions drawn by this roundtable are consistent with the efforts by the APTA to uh, make a unifying message for the organization around the concept of movement. Uh, so exercise is good. It offers health benefits beyond simply uh, reducing risk for cardiovascular disease and diabetes. It also reduces the risk for several of the more common uh, cancers. Well, um uh, speaking of public health issues, uh, let's let let's address uh, this uh, this spring's uh, elephant in the room, <laughs> if you will. Uh, very very. I call it, I call it a, a big dinosaur. <laughs> well, the the sooner it's a dinosaur, the better, I guess, as, as far as we're all concerned. Uh, yeah, I understand. Yes. Uh, um, so, as I noted at the outset, there are, these are times of severely limited uh, mobility beyond the confines of one's residence due the due to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. At the time of our conversation today, uh, stay-at-home directives that are being issued in an increasing number of states still do allow for outdoor walking and other forms of socially distanced exercise. So in what ways do you see efforts to contain the coronavirus impacting the exercise goals we've, we've been discussing? And, and also, what recommendations can you share for people undergoing cancer treatment to encourage them to move more, even if they need to do so in their own homes? So uh, this is my personal opinion, uh, but I think it's crushing. I ride a bicycle, and uh, the gym where I ride when it's uh, inclement weather is closed. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't have uh, we don't have a full fledged spring yet uh, here in uh, North Carolina, so it's it's difficult for me to go out and do my preferred type of exercise. So I think it's been pretty crushing uh, because of those types of limitations. Now, with that said, I, I have to preface any other comments. You have to know what your local governments or state governments say about uh, how uh, restrictive 
uh, individual movement is in their particular geographic region. In the state of Texas, each county makes the determination. Some of the counties have people uh, restricted to their homes and others have no restrictions whatsoever. So first thing you have to do is to understand what the restrictions are mm-hmm. in your area. Secondly, you have to you have to keep in mind this social separation, this six feet uh, that everyone is talking about. But if you're allowed to go outside and you can preserve that distance, then uh, going outside to walk is uh, it is probably okay. I'm I'm riding my bicycle when the weather is uh, is reasonable. Uh, I'm not riding with a group of cyclists. If you're running, you should not run with a group of cyclists. Uh, uh, it becomes a, a bit more of a, a solitary behavior, but that's what we have to do in, in, in the cur- under the current circumstances. Now, at home, if you're restricted to home, doing aerobic exercise becomes challenging. Uh, if you if you have a set of stairs, now you can do stairs, repeated stairs. Uh, you might have a, a circuit around the house that you can walk. Now, interest in that can be lost very quickly, but that's the best one can do, I think, under these circumstances. I, I was going to say, and I, ideally, at least some people might have some exercise equipment in their home With, already. Yeah. And, and that's what I was about to, to, to address. Maybe it's time to get those clothes off the treadmill that you <laughs> bought two years ago and actually use it. <laughs> no, no better time to dust them off. <laughs> this would be a perfect time to do it. Uh, right. I, I've heard of people doing uh, marching in place for 15 minutes. Now, again, if you're uh, if you can tolerate that type of behavior, that's not a bad aerobic exercise to do. M- maybe put uh, on some Sousa music at the same time. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. John Philip would be very happy. But, uh, uh, but there's lots of ways to keep your mind occupied when you're exercising. And then uh, doing some resistance training around the house. We can't forget that uh, body weight uh, is uh, moving body weight is a form of resistance training. So one might be able to do wall slides where it's, it's uh, stand with your back against the wall, bend your knees. Now, don't go very far before you come back up, but you can do those types of uh, uh, semi-squats. There's heavy things in the house that you can lift uh, and replicate uh, range of motion movements that that you're familiar with from doing them in the gym. if you're badly deconditioned and home home uh, therapists do this uh, all the time, is grab a can of peaches that weighs 16 ounces. That's a weight that you can uh, can move and use that can as a as a uh, a barbell, if you will. Mm-hmm. So you just be creative in looking around the house for something that you can hold that uh, meets a reasonable uh, weight that's consistent with your strength, and then. Uh, you you can begin to play games with how many repetitions to do, how many sets. If 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 a, a can of peaches is is too heavy and it fatigues you in uh, in eight reps, then you know gr- grab a smaller can of tomatoes mm-hmm. and uh, and and do a couple of sets of eight to ten reps with a smaller weight. That's, 
that's something you'll have to figure out. But resistance work can be done at home. And needless to say, these are good times in which to have canned goods in the house. Yeah, for a number of reasons. Now, I don't know what what you're going to do if you can't get back to the store, but uh, this will at least get you started to think about what right. what you could use around the house uh, for a resistance uh, training program. Right. So, uh, Steve, the American Physical Therapy Association believes that physical therapy, the physical therapy community, has a major role to play in advocating for increased physical activity throughout society. Uh, what types of actions might that advocacy involve? And also, should listeners to this podcast be lending their voices to these efforts or at least be encouraging physical activity within their own circle of influence? There's a large number of community programs that provide exercise to, uh, to cancer survivors. Uh, they can always use the expertise that physical therapists and physical therapist assistants can bring to those programs. They might look for volunteer opportunities. They might, uh, physical therapists and physical therapist assistants might think about establishing their own programs. Uh, they might think about establishing an exercise program uh, in an institution where they work in an outpatient clinic offering uh, exercise classes uh, to former patients. Of course, that has to be consistent with the uh, limitations of the institution, but they may offer exercise classes once patients have completed their their treatment. Uh, Therapists, anytime there's a group of people or an opportunity to talk about physical activity, physical therapists and physical therapist assistants should be there. And let's show that we're the experts in movement. I know that another thing that you've talked about in the past has been the uh, the absence, the increasing absence of uh, physical education programs in schools. Public education has a long-standing history of progressively eroding physical education class. Now that's sad for a number of reasons. One of which uh, there's evidence to suggest that going out and blowing off steam at recess is a great way to increase. Uh, cognitive functions in kids. They learn more. They learn better. Uh, They're more attentive in class. The Cooper Institute has several studies that have demonstrated that. Secondly, it's a perfect way to introduce children to uh, uh, increasing their activity levels, Uh, introduce them to sports that they might consider uh, lifetime sports. Uh, Thirdly, with the uh, Presence, constant presence of of screens, phones, laptops, etc., smartphones. Uh, it's an opportunity to get these kids away from inactivity and get them to move. And they're not; uh, they increasingly are disinclined to go home from school and go play in the yard. Uh, they either have activities or they sit in front of their computer. So this is a time uh, that's reserved for physical activity, and it needs to be uh, returned to public education because it may be the only time that many of these kids uh, have in their daily routine a period of uh, exercise. So so one thing that people can do uh, proactively is is lobby their school boards for the return to of physical education classes to to school schedules. I would I would strongly advocate that. Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure how parents are going to uh, get involved in that, but that would be a great a great advocacy 
uh, for physical therapists and therapist assistants. So um, any final thoughts, Steve? Any, anything you'd care to, uh, to add or reinforce uh, the things that we've been talking about? The American public doesn't exercise. Two-thirds of the American population fail to meet these minimum exercise guidelines that Eric, you and I have been talking about. That carries with it incredible public health issues and personal health issues. The roundtable demonstrated that we can add cancers, various cancers, to this laundry list of health problems created by inactivity. So anything that a therapist can do personally or in his or her community uh, to get people to move more frequently and make movement a part of their everyday activity, then that's what they should be looking to do. Have your patients park their cars as far away from the entrance to your, your clinic as possible so they have to walk a little bit more every day. Tell them not to take the elevator up one flight. And uh, things like that. There are lots of simple things that people can do to increase their uh, physical activity. The uh, Health and Human Services presented their second physical activity guidelines for Americans. And importantly, in that document, they said activity levels of less than 10 minutes count. Previously, uh, activity levels had to exceed 10 minutes. Now, anything Anything counts. Movement counts. And so uh, the therapists need to help their patients figure out how they can incorporate movement into their daily activities. And, and that's an important, uh, an important message for, uh, for everyone, that, uh, that pretty much any, anything you do uh, helps. It, exactly. Anything you do helps. Exactly. Well, uh, Steve Morris, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Move Forward Radio. You've, you've given everyone a, a lot to think about. Well, I, on behalf of the Academy, uh, it's, been in, it's uh, indeed been my pleasure. Eric, I've enjoyed talking with you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. ChoosePT.com.